Psalms is a book of the Bible that offers encouragement and hope for our everyday lives. So let's take a look back at where it all began. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul to the Christians living in Ephesus, an ancient Rome city, now modern day Turkey. The book contains Paul's teachings on faith, obedience, and how to live faithfully as individuals and as a Christian community. In this series, Pastor Bank takes us on a journey through Ephesians that will help us understand how blessed believers are, our position in Christ, and how our blessings should be reflected in our lives in the world. Remember this, God can use us to do his work in this world, no matter where we are or what struggles we may face, as long as you are seeing yourself as God sees you. Praise God forevermore. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Welcome everyone to this Christmas Sunday. Yes. Amen. We welcome everyone here in the house in in that's present in person. And for all of our friends and families joining us online, Merry Christmas to you. We thank God for you, although we miss you dearly. And we are hopeful that at some point in time, you'll be able to join us. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow, Sister Bishola. It is good to see you and to see Rashida. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We need to give a shout of victory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yes. Yes. Unto us, his son is born. And, and the child was born, and his son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful. <laughs> He's wonderful this morning. Amen. We thank God. We thank God for all of you. Praise God. We're going to dive into the message in a minute. As you know, at this church, at Go Church, our mission is to build a Jesus community and to serve the world. And we have a little change coming for you next year. Next year, first Wednesday of January. That's January the 4th. We are changing the midweek service format. We're going to be calling it the tune-up. Tune-up. I don't know about you guys. At my age, I need regular tune-up. <laughs> Praise God. So it's going to be a live interactive meeting, and you're going to get a chance to actually send your questions in at 7.30 p.m. Give me the Prom. And then we're going to dive in a message. Praise God. Praise God. 
I know. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> doing this or rather one of the reasons we are doing this is because in January I'm going to start teaching on standing your ground against the enemy and there are going to be a lot of questions that will be required to be answered and so we want to give you the opportunity that as we teach you can post your questions and we're going to get them and answer them immediately and there are going to be a lot of new things you're going to learn through this series that's coming in January. Amen? So stay tuned. We welcome you. We thank God for you. Amen? Again, Merry Christmas. Amen? Merry Christmas. All right, let's dive into the word this morning. Praise God. Um, I'm going to be teaching this morning. I'm going to call this Walking in Your Identity. Walking Your Identity. And uh, hopefully you're going to get home in time to open your gifts and so forth and so on. But right now, let's just let's, let's get grounded. Amen? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, from the New Living Translation. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, from the New Living Translation. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Last week, I was asking you, where do you live? I don't know if you remember that. I was asking, where is your location? And I said to you that your location, actually, truly, if you are born again, you are in heaven. You are in this world, but not of this world. Now, this is good news, what I just read, Ephesians 1.5. The Father God has adopted you and I into his family. Now, adoption is a biblical concept that is spoken of in many times in the scriptures. There are at least four examples of adoption in God's word that stands out to me right now as I'm speaking. Number one, I'm not going to open the scripture. I'm just going to tell you Exodus 2.10. We are told that Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Number two, in Esther chapter two, verse seven, we are told that Esther was adopted by her cousin Mordecai. And in Matthew 13, verse 55, we are told about Joseph who adopted Jesus Christ and raised him as if he was his, he was his own child. Now in each one of those adoptions, there are certain things we can glean, but I don't have time to really get into all of that this morning. So I said there are four examples. So what's the fourth one? The fourth example is you. Every one of us, every person under the sound of my voice that has been born again, you must understand that you have been adopted into the family of God. Now, the Greek word from which the word adoption is taken means taking the position of an adult son. That is huge. Let me say that again. 
That Greek word from which that word adoption comes literally means taking the place of an adult son. You see, adoption is not the means by which we enter into the family of God. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we enter into God's family by being born again. So then if by being born again, we enter into the family, why is God taking the time to make a distinction between our born again experience, whereby we're already in a family, and the adoption experience? Amen? <laughs> you see, rather, adoption speaks of our privilege and standing within God's family. The moment we were born again, we were placed into the family of God, and we became heirs as sons and daughters of God. So, spiritual abduction speaks not of how we enter into the family, but of our involvement with the family. Adoption speaks about your involvement within the family. Now, let me just say this. Your spiritual identity is the highest ranking there is. Ah. And it's the key to kingdom living. I need to say that again. Your spiritual identity as a child of God is the highest rank, ranking that there can be. It's higher than being a professor. It's higher than being an archbishop. It's higher than being an engineer. It's higher than being a doctor. It's higher than being a pastor. It's higher than being an apostle. Being a child of God, your spiritual identity is the highest ranking there is. And it's also the key to your victorious kingdom living. Now, how do I know this? And why is this important? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we notice that when Jesus was baptized at River Jordan, the Bible says the heavens opened up, and the Spirit of God descended upon him, and we heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Notice he did not say, This is my beloved preacher. He did not say, this is a great prophet. He did not say, this is a great healer. None of that. He said, this is my beloved son. And I'm saying to you this morning, you find yourself in that same equation. Because God has adopted you and therefore given you a ranking that is above any other known ranking. Period. End of story. And therefore, because of the ranking that God gave Jesus, immediately in Matthew chapter 4, we are told, in verse 3 and verse 6, what did the enemy try to contend? When Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, the contention was not about if he was a preacher. The contention was not if he was a great healer. This enemy told him, if you are the son of God, do this and do that. Twice. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, the enemy knows something that you need to get a hold of. 
Because if you understand who you are and your spiritual identity, if you understand how that is your highest ranking ever possible, it will become the foundation and the key to a victorious kingdom living. In Matthew 11, 11, I think I'm going to read this one scripture. In Matthew 11, 11, look at what Jesus said. He said, assuredly, I say to you, among all that is born among women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. He said, but he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. What? Jesus, what are you saying? That John is greater than Abraham? Yes. That John is greater or was greater than Isaac and Jacob? Yes. That John is greater than Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all of these great prophets? Yes, yes, yes. That John is greater than David? Yes. And on and on and on. Among all that were born among women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because of John the Baptist's proximity. The rest of them looked forward to Jesus coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But when John got on the scene, he said, he's here. Yeah. Not only did they say he's here, he had the privilege to show him to the world. He was his forerunner. He introduced Jesus and his ministry to the world. And for that reason, because he had a chance to see him and know him, Jesus said, John the Baptist is greater than all the other people born among women. However, he says, even the least now in the kingdom of God is now greater than John himself. Abba, Jesus, what are you saying? What's going on here? Jesus is merely saying for you and I, we have something that John never had. For John, it was a dream. For John, it was a revelation. For John, it was something to look forward to. You and I now have it. For unto us, a child is born. And unto us, a son has been given. Hallelujah. John could only call Jesus cousin. We call him friend. We call him brother. We are born again. We have been brought into the family of God in a way that John was never able to have. We have been adopted. John was never adopted. And therefore, every single one of us is higher and greater than him. That's why I say to you that the adoption of your spiritual identity is the highest ranking there is. Dupe, dupe, welcome. If I need my blood pressure tested, I'm going to see you after the service. <laughs> Hallelujah, glory to God. Amen. So now, what are the blessings of our, of our spiritual adoption? What do we get from it? What are the benefits? Well, Ephesians 1.11, it says, we received an inheritance. The Bible says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, I'm not going to go over that any longer because I took a message maybe a week or two ago to deal expressly, exclusively with the issue of our inheritance. Go on the website and get that message. I address that in a 45-minute message by itself. How to receive your inheritance. Okay? This is what we get. 
as a result of being adopted in the family of God. Now, I need, I need to say to you that the Holy Spirit is the sole executor of our inheritance. Everything that God has for us is being dispensed to us right now as I speak by the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing I must say about this inheritance that you need to get now. You see, unlike the natural inheritance that you leave for your children, God forbid, you have to be gone or dead before they can lay their hands on it. But in the kingdom of God, it's not so. The moment you get born again, that inheritance is immediately available to you. That was the sole purpose for which Jesus gave us the parable of Luke chapter 15. And that's why the younger boy who understood what was happening went to the father and said, give me now the goods that belong to me. And he got it. Amen? So your inheritance is available to you right now. Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. The Bible says, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of ad uh, adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. So we know that we are ad adopted. We know that our adoption carries a benefit, which is our inheritance. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives or ministers that in those inheritance to us from time to time. Now, let us talk about walking in your identity. For three chapters, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, 3, Paul took the time to establish who we are, our position, our union, the fact that we are accepted in the beloved, the fact that God loves us dearly, that the fact that we have been ad adopted into the family of God. It took the time to really establish all of the blessings that are available to us now. So, from, verse, from chapters 4 through 6, it now begins to tell us how should you respond on the basis of these blessings you've received. How? Walking in your identity. Let me read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 in the message translation. I like this translation. Hear what it says. In light of all of this, here is what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master... I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want any more strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. I mark that you do this with humility and discipline. Not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, allotting at notice, a lot rather, a lot at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Did you hear that? Paul is saying, listen, you are blessed. You are loved beyond measure. By grace, God loved you. He loves you dearly. He's positioned you in Christ. Now, as a result of this, this is how I want you to live your life in the world. You sit with him so that you can walk before men. 
You sit with Christ so that you can walk before men. So it's not saying, how should we walk before men? How? How should we do it? It tells us. It tells us. Ephesians 4, 2. That verse 2, Ephesians. It tells us how. In the New King James, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. In love. This is where the rubber meets the road. Showing tolerance for one another. Being gentle with one another. Being patient with one another in love. Why is it important that we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us? Why is it important that even as we walk in our identity, we yield to the Holy Spirit? You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that knows the end from the beginning. And we will save ourselves a lot of headache if we just simply yield to him. Let me give us an example. Let's go to Exodus chapter 13. Verses 17 and 18 in the New Living Translation. Exodus 13, verses 17 through 18. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Now think about that. They've been captivity all these years. They're finally free. Would you take the, will you not take the shortest route to get the heck out of Dodge? As they say. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So, God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Now, who led them out of Egypt? God. We just read it. There was a shorter route to their destination. And God overruled the decision to take the shorter route. If it's me and you go to the mall, would you not take the shortest route to get to the mall? I went to a place in Georgia maybe last week. It's called Locust Grove. I know the place. I've been there many times before. I just said, you know what, I'm going at this today. Let me just put on my GPS. I put on the GPS, and this thing, this GPS took me totally opposite direction. <laughs> I was on my way. I called my wife. I said, you know what, this thing is taking me a different, a different route. I said, but I'm curious. I'm going to follow it. I mean, I had time. So I said, I'm going to follow it. Off and over, go, left, right, turn, right. Left. I mean, no highway. And after a while, I arrived. I said, wow. Come to find out there was a wreck on the highway that I would have chosen. The Holy Spirit is like a GPS. He has gone ahead of you, knows what you're about to face, and because of what he knows and your capacity to deal with it, it changes your direction. And you don't understand why. If the Israelites would have easily taken the shortest route to the promised land. But God, as a father, who cared? Who was protecting them? Say, ah, if my children see war, I've not prepared them for war yet. Yeah. And because I've not prepared them, if they see war ahead, earlier than their preparation, they will fumble and they will return to bondage 
they will prefer bondage than freedom. Therefore, I will overrule in their behalf. I'll take them on a longer journey. Yeah, it's longer, but they'll get to where they're going. That's the role the Holy Spirit plays in our life. You see a young man, you say, I want to date this guy. I want to date this girl. Do you know who they are? Do you know where they're coming from? Do you know the things they carry that will sabotage your future? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. That's how you work in your identity. Your identity means I'm with Christ. And because I'm with Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm seated with Christ, therefore, Jesus, let's work this thing together. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's a business, whatever it is, you have to get to the place where you come to utter trust and reliance on the Holy Spirit. I've gone to great lengths to establish that the Christian experience does not begin with walking, but with sitting. You have to sit first. If you are not sitting, you will not be able to walk properly. Every time we reverse the order, the result is disaster. Sitting describes our position with Christ in the heavenlies. Walking is the practical outworking of that heavenly position here on earth. Eight times in the book of Ephesians, the word walk was used. Eight times. Eight times. It means to walk around. And Paul used it figuratively to mean to comport oneself to order one's behavior. It immediately reminds us of Christian conduct. So, Paul in these chapters proceeds in light of heavenly calling to challenge us on a wide range of relationships where this will be worked out daily. It is in chapters 4 through 6 that he begins to address wide range of relationships where this Christian conduct will be addressed, where it will be lived out every day. Number one, he addresses the relationship with other believers. Can you just do a pulse check right now? What do I mean by that? Can you just look around you and say, which one of the believers I'm sitting with am I having a strife with? Relationship with other believers. Are you carrying a grudge? Are you holding an offense? Do you have a good testimony among the saints? If we were to call a man or a woman in this congregation and say, oh, can you tell me about John Sally? What would they say about you? Listen, it doesn't matter how well you shout, how well you praise, how well you pray. If the person sitting next to you cannot give a good report about you, you are in trouble. You need a good dose of the Holy Spirit. I told you the story. We went to the Amish community. We were talking to the elders in that community. And we're hearing about their tradition and how they worship. And I was so blown away. And I was intrigued. And I asked one of those elders, are you born again? I was expecting for him to say yes or no. What did the man say? He said, ask my neighbor. Don't take my testimony for it. Ask my neighbor. Have I been neighborly with my neighbor? It's not just what you say. You know a tree by its fruit. So if your tree is not growing food, we need some fertilizer. 
So the first thing Paul addresses is relationship among believers. The next thing he addresses, oh, and by the way, you can see that in Acts chapter 9, beautiful story. Acts chapter 9, I'm not going to read it, verses 36 to 40. Those believers, Dorcas died. Tabitha, Dorcas. And the believers heard that Peter was away in a town not too far away. They went and got him. Peter, Dorcas, that you must raise her from the dead. She's too useful to us. And they started showing Peter all the clothes and the outfit that the lady has made for them. Wow. Amen. There are some of you here, if you're sick, I will pray so hard. I know the place where I'm getting afang soup. I know where I'm getting vegetable soup. I know all of those places. If something happens to you, I'll go before God. <laughs> That's loaded. <laughs> ah, praise God. <laughs> so relationship with other believers, number one. Number two, relationship with our neighbors. Your next door neighbor. And, and when talking about neighbor, it's not just talking about next door neighbor, actually. People in your oil course, your circle of influence, people you hang around with, your neighbors, what would they say about you? What would they say? Are you a good or, sub, are you a good or bad Samaritan? What would they say? And then, of course, marital relationships. How much grace do you extend to your spouse? Or is your grace just in your mouth? It does not reach your heart. Because if you are seated together with him, then you will love the way Jesus loves. Listen, I'm asking all these questions. I'm not asking because I'm an expert. As I'm asking, I'm asking myself at the same time. Amen? The biggie here, so we talk about relationship with believers, relationship with neighbors, marital relationships, and then it deals with parental relationships. My Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, let me read that. Because all of us here in this room are a result of parental relationships. You had a father, a mother, somehow, some time ago. Ephesians 6.4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Interesting, he did not mention a woman. He did not say, and you mothers. He said, and you fathers. He zeroed in, and you fathers. Why? He understood that the woman would take care of their children. You understood that women have a maternal instinct to do what is best for their kids. They pay the price. They make the sacrifice. They do what it takes to make sure those kids are well fended for. He doesn't say anything to mothers as to really raising children. Why? Because we know it's natural for mother to care about her kids and to do whatever she can. Look at all the single parentings. Look at the great job many of them have done. Raised kids that went to college. They are not in prison. They didn't have a child out of uh, wedlock and so forth and so on. They've done a great job. Dads, fathers, however, sometimes are a different story. In fact, Colossians 3.21 breaks it down for us. It says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. What does that mean? To provoke your kids to wrath means to make them discouraged. How do we do that as fathers? By loading them down with expectations. Man, we have a dangerous tendency to want to relieve our glory days through our children. 
They often say, I played ball, so you play ball. Or I was good at math, so you must be good at math. Or I'm gregarious and outgoing, so you must also be gregarious and outgoing. Listen, I went through this. I have a passionate uh, affinity for the, for the U.S. military and in particular the Air Force. I said, if I had been born in the United States, absolutely there's no way God will prevent me from joining the Air Force. <laughs> so my kids, I first got to me. I said, told you, go to the naval, uh, go to the Navy. She was at UGA. I said, go to the Navy. You're going to join the Navy Aviation. <laughs> pressure, pressure, pressure. Finally, she went. She took the exam and came and said, she said she failed. I said, ah, how could you fail? <laughs> yeah. My son, I put him in the Civil Air Patrol. I'm pushing him, Air Force, Air Force. They don't want to hear it. <laughs> Faith, I didn't, have, I didn't have a chance. <laughs> My batting average was two for, two, zero for two. So, I mean, for, for him... <laughs> But it, this is the point. Fathers have a dangerous tendencies to want to live our glory through our children, and therefore we force them. We force on them things for which they are not equipped to do. And if they don't comply, and if they don't do it, we say, ah, oh, you're a failure. We said, we fuck out kind of crazy. Somebody in your village is the one behind it. Dads, stop doing that. Wise is the father who understands that his children are not to be molded, but to be unfolded. I will. Wise is the father who understands that his children are not to be molded, but unfolded. What do I mean by that? In other words, fathers, you have the privilege of observing your children carefully, seeing how God made them, and then help unfolding what God has built into them from the moment of conception, all for his glory. Unfold them. They have something in them already. Find out what it is and help bring it out. Help unfold what's already molded. Your role is not to mold, but to unfold. Now, in order to do that, you have to be present. That's the biggie. That's why some of these jobs, they came straight from hell. It's putting money in the bank but you're losing your home. I remember just like yesterday, in Chicago O'Hare Airport, me and Sammy Badaki traveling, and I said, Sammy, don't make the mistakes I made. And I began to share with him, one after the other. I said, take care, watch, be hands on, on and on and on and on. And today, Sammy is not one testifying. Sebo told me a week ago how Sammy has been so present with those girls. 
If Sammy was saying that, I said, well, Sammy's blowing his arm. But his wife told me that. You've got to be there. Jobs that's going to take you away from home endlessly, making money and losing your children. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you a story. During show and tell, elementary kids were telling what their dads did for a living. The first one says, my daddy is a president of his own company. One says, he travels all over the world. Another one says, well, my daddy is really rich, said another. We have nice cars, a pool, and even an airplane. My daddy said, a little boy is a professional baseball player. The kids and teacher alike were impressed with the stories until a little girl in the back of the room cautiously said, my daddy is here. The other kids were talking about daddies that were not present. Yeah. President owns his own business, plays baseball, but they could not be in class. The little girl in the back of the class just said, my daddy, he may not be a president, he may not be a baseball player, we may not have an air, uh, airplane or swimming pool, but he's here with me in class. Yeah. You cannot unfold if you are not present. Paul addresses all these relationships. Relationship with our neighbors. Relationship with our other believers. Marital relationships. Parental relationships. And lastly, our work relationships. Our workplace relationships. Does your light so shine before men on your job that they glorify your father which is in heaven? Or are you stealing and embezzling with the rest of the co-workers? Do you have a testimony? So in closing, as we walk in our identity, and this is part one, there are two more parts coming. These relationships are like laboratories that God created for us to grow in, to teach about himself and put his character on display for the world to see. And I pray that in this Christmas season, we're going to take these things seriously. The Father God sent his son into the world because he loves us. And the fact that we are now born again, we are seated together with him in heavenly places that we can now begin to display his life in our world. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who is the sole executor of our inheritance. That the Holy Spirit will help every man and every woman under the sound of my voice to be equipped and to be released to be a blessing everywhere they are. At home, at work, and to help begin to zero in those areas where we can make amends. We thank you for your incredible love when you've loved us. We bless your name, Father God, in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you right now for this incredible holiday season. Thank you for your goodness upon us. 
in Jesus' name. All right, praise God. So I want to thank every one of you for your generous financial support in 2023. Oh, 22? Okay, I'm already ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, somebody's listening. Praise God. Two people are listening. <laughs> yeah, I want to thank all of you for your incredible financial support for, in 2022. You play an essential part in our ministry through your gifts and your prayers. We couldn't do what we do without you. We rely on your partnership uh, in this ministry to, to teach the Word of God, not only here at home, but around the world. And so I just want to ask you now to call upon the Holy Spirit that's within you to ask you what should you do in this last Sunday of the year as we give to God. Let God reveal to you what to do. And if we've done something already, ask him again. Ask him again. This is Christmas Sunday. I uh, know we've taken care of ourselves, we've taken care of our kids. Can we just take care of Jesus this morning? <laughs> Let's be a blessing to him, amen? So they're going to give you all the ways to give on the overhead. Uh, kindred, cash app, walking, okay. Those are all the ways to give. Uh, be a blessing, dig deep. As they have seen some in some countries, package your gift. <laughs> package it, amen. And so Father, I want to thank you again for this time. We honor you, Father, for the privilege that we have to partner together with you. You say, while the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. Winter and cold, hot and, uh, winter, winter and summer, hot and cold, that it shall not cease. And so, Lord, we thank you for your incredible harvest unto every man and woman in this congregation.